Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. You know, guys, you may ask yourself, was Hawkins' echoing pussy joke from the movie Predator Shane Black's worst joke? The answer is no. Shane Black's worst joke is a movie called Last Action Hero, and that's what we're here to talk about today. Last Action Hero. My gosh, this is the last movie I walked out on. I'm actually excited to come here and revisit a movie that I had not seen since I walked out of the theater in 1993. I got to say this, you know, we talked about last time when we had Jeff before and we were talking about uh, OU812 and I said Arlen, I had just spoken with him before we started recording and asked him which one he was picking between OU812 and Long Cold Winter and he's like, I'm siding with Jason. It's got to be OU812. <laughs> and, then, and then of course you chose not OU812. Right. Well, he called me back after we dropped our episodes and he was like, I... I got to say this. I think I'm changing my answer. I think that I still am siding with Jason. I think it's still long, cold winter. Yes. And so Arlen is still on the same page. And he called me just yesterday and asked what was coming up. And I told him and he said, oh, last action hero. I would have walked out on that movie, but I was on a date. And that is the (laughs) only reason that I did not walk out on that movie. Well, we've got here from the Film by Podcast, Mr. Jeff Johnson. Jeff, tell us about your podcast, what you've got going on right now, man. Well, I am happy to be back with uh, both of you. We are the A Film by Podcast, where we are waxing intellectual about Hollywood's biggest and best directors, their underrated hits, and what we love about them. Uh, Along the way, we have come up with uh, a couple very fun uh, limited series, which I'm happy to say has featured both Jason and D, uh, our 1986 series, our 1976 series. We've had some fun stuff. So always, always happy to collaborate with you guys. Always happy to be here at the the Shirley Studios. Well, thanks for coming back on. Today, we are going to talk about what the heck happened in 1993 when we sat down to watch Last Action Hero. Jeff, what are your initial thoughts on this one? Where did you see this in the theater? Or what, what? Give us your story. I did see this in the theater. I'll be honest. I, I was I was excited to see it the week prior. Me and two of my cousins had went and seen Jurassic Park. Right. So pretty easy to get tickets uh, for Last Action Hero because dinosaurs were were ruling the box office. First time I saw it, I gotta be honest, I loved it. Not to say that I was hip to the whole meta commentary that it was it was pulling off, you know, way before its time. But I enjoyed it for what it was, and it's one of these movies where it has its uh it has its haters, but I'm not one of them. D, you watched this movie last week. Yeah, for the first time. For the first time, I watched this movie. Initial thoughts. Do you want me to tell you? I mean, you're gonna say this or. I th- I thought I'd save it for the end. Okay, like, here we here we go. It. We got we know that you hate it. We know that Jeff. <laughs> Loves it. Wait a minute now. I did hate it. Oh, so you we've got a question mark over your head as well. I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm just putting it out there. I hated it in 93. Okay. So Mm -hmm. we can say that the first time that you watched it, you hated it. The first time that Jeff watched it, he loved it. Right. I'm going to save what I feel about the movie the first time I watched it, which was again this week. A final judgment on a, what were they thinking episode? (laughs) Yes. It's fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So let's dive into the story behind the story here. Yeah. Starts off with a couple of college buddies who, like me, were kind of uh, disillusioned with all of the action movies from the 80s. You know, we talk routinely about some of the movies that I haven't seen, and I've kind of noticed a trend. I haven't seen Commando. I haven't seen Cobra. I haven't seen Rambo. I haven't (laughs) seen First Blood. Action movie for me was going to be Raiders of the Lost Ark or Die Hard. Those were my action movies. The ones where it was all guns and explosions and blood, I just didn't get into those things. I thought they were just kind of silly. And 
there were a couple of college guys who felt the same way. And so they rented every single action movie of the 80s that they could find, figured out all of the tropes that they could find, and they wrote this really dark parody movie called Extremely Violent. He's never seen Rambo, Jeff. I the the list that he just uh, <laughs> gave us, I am stupefied. I mean, you missed out on quintessential '80s action films. It's true. Oh. So those two guys were named Zach Penn and Adam Leff. Now we've talked about Zach Penn before because he also went on to write the screenplay for Ready Player One, which we discussed in detail with our friend Van Allen Plexico on the White Rocket podcast with our friend Def Dave. Obviously, Jason and I are huge fans of the book Ready Player One. We are less so for the movie, but still not a bad screenplay for Zach Penn to write. And what's interesting is he's made his career off of writing action movies, but he started his career by making fun of them. I mean, look at this list here. Last Action Hero, Men in Black, X-Men Part 2, The Incredible Hulk, The Avengers, Ready Player One. That's an impressive list. Indeed. And his partner, Adam Leff, if you haven't heard of him, you're obviously not a Biodome fan. Hey, let's not forget PCU. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they right. Go. Yeah, J Jeremy Pivens in one of his pivotal roles. <laughs> so when they sat down to write this script... These are two college guys. He said they went to the video store and they rented every single action movie that they could. And they watched them one after another, after another. Now I'm guessing that the video store clerk did not look like Bobby Brown and Angie Everhart, probably more like Jeff and Dayton. I'm guessing. <laughs> <laughs> probably. <laughs> but they, he said that they sat down and watched every action movie. He said it was soul crushing to watch Steven Seagal movie after Steven Seagal movie. <laughs> Again, I, I don't watch Steven Seagal movies. I don't watch Jean-Claude Van Damme movies. This movie, I mean, it came at the right time. Say what you will about the quality of the movie. Right. The idea of a spoof of all of the 80s action, violence, explosion, shoot them up. It was time. They had reached their pinnacle. It was time to do a parody of those movies. I mean, this movie could have been Scary Movie five years before Scary Movie came out, except for action movies. But we'll have to decide whether they hit the mark or whether they missed the mark. But if you look at what happened after this movie, where the action movies of the 80s went, it went by the way of Steven Seagal movies and John claude Van Damme movies, which were not up to par of the movies of the 80s. I mean, we're still talking about Rambo and Commando and, and even maybe Raw Deal in that mix. But is anybody really talking about JCVD movies? No. I guess this makes me an apologist for both those actors. But uh, when you're talking about Jean-Claude, Love Bloodsport. Got to be a guest on the All 80s podcast uh, not too long ago talking about Bloodsport. Love Kickboxer, Double Impact, all his fun stuff. Steven Seagal, for me, those hit at, at the right time. I was like 10, 11 years old. So hard to kill and out for justice. My thought was the rule was as long as he has a cool name like Mason Storm uh, <laughs> and, it's a, and it's a movie title with, with exactly three words. You know, above the law, hard to kill, march for death, out for justice. <laughs> that, that's that's the formula for Seagal. That's it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, and I think that you made you made a good point. You were about ten years old when those movies were coming out, right? Mm -hmm. And yep. I mean, when this movie came out, I was a year away from graduate. I mean, I wasn't even a year. I was I was about to graduate high school the next spring, right? Mm -hmm. And yep. Jason was 
in college. Yeah. Yeah. He's in college. Age difference is huge. I sent you guys a text earlier. Zach Simmons, who is the, the city prosecutor for one of the places that I'm a judge is he's like, I'm angry with you because your podcast has made me watch this movie. And he sent me <laughs> screenshots of Superman four, <laughs> the quest for peace, which we covered with Jeff on our, what yeah. the heck happened last year. Right. Mm-hmm. And I said, I, I am so sorry. I am genuinely sorry that you felt obligated to do this. And I said, please, <laughs> please don't watch Supergirl. Okay. Because it's just, it's worse and it's just not worth it. He said, you know what? I was born in 1983 and I actually saw those movies when I was a kid, but I loved them then because they were just superheroes on TV. And so I loved them. And so at 10, yeah, sure. Martial arts movies with lots of, you know, muscly, great action in the jungle. I can totally see loving those. Me at 18, Jason at 20, we're like, yeah, uh, is there some something better? That we can watch. So this is what happened when I saw it in the theater. I saw an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie directed by John McTiernan. I'm all excited. I go. There's this stupid kid with a bad haircut, crossing his eyes, going, freaking whiskers the cat. (laughs) Okay. I'm like, what the F am I watching? So, Jason, you described this. Before I watched the movie, you were like, okay, you like cheeseburgers, right? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and he, and you're like, and you like a hot fudge sundae. It's ice cream, right? I'm like, yeah. And you go, but would you like a hot fudge sundae on top of a cheeseburger? And I'm like, no. And he was like, that's what this movie is. And I think that is an excellent analogy of this movie. And I think that they took it even to the extreme because when they promoted the movie, they only told you you were getting the cheeseburger. That's right. They didn't let you know about the ice cream. And if you know the ice cream's coming, then maybe you're ready for it. But if you suddenly have a cheeseburger with ice cream all over it in front of you, you're going to be like, what the heck? What? What are we doing here? There were many, many problems. But one of the key problems that they had with this movie is they prepped guys like you who were totally into all of those action movies from the 80s that this was the pinnacle. This is going to be the best action movie you've ever seen. That's what they said. That was the exact word. Mm -hmm. Right. But it wasn't that. It was supposed to be a spoof. It was supposed to be a parody. We said at the beginning, these guys wrote this movie to be making fun of those movies. Why would they promote it as one of those movies? Stupidity. Bad marketing. Yeah. That's that's what I'm calling this one. That's a mistake that happens later on. I mean, once they've, you know, once they're far into the movie and they're promoting it and they're marketing it, that's the mistake they're making then. But they make mistakes at the outset. They buy this script, which is arguably a, a better script. I haven't read it, but there are a lot of fans of the script as it's written. And as it was written, the kid is not a kid. He's a teenager, right? And there's a kind of moving part that he's lost his father and he's trying to escape the tragedy of his life. That That's the thing that was left. He goes into the movie to find out, oh my gosh, the, the violence that exists in the movies is much worse than I could ever imagine at my home. And so it's it's a realization. But what do they do? They take that well-conceived idea and they give it to the writer that wrote the movie that they're making fun of. They give it to Shane Black. And then... They get the director of the movie that they're making fun of. They get John McTiernan and they say, you write it and you direct it. Those guys are brilliant. I love their work, but why would you give them the movie that is making fun of their movies to direct? It'd be like having George Lucas direct Spaceballs. 
That's it, right. It doesn't That's make right. any sense. Good call. It's like asking Clint Eastwood to hang around with an orangutan and make a comment. Oh, wait, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it just doesn't work, right? It just it's it is a mixture of a cheeseburger and a hot fudge sundae. It's taking things that I do like. They just couldn't find that tone. And Jeff, you and I were talking the other night. They brought in William Goldman to work on this script, among other people, including Larry Ferguson, who worked on Hunt for Red October. And, and worked on Aliens 3. He was the guy that wrote the script that everyone unanimously hated. <laughs> <laughs> and he brought in Carrie Fisher, a.k.a. Princess Leah. Yes, that mm -hmm. one. Leia. Leia. Excuse me. <laughs> um, but they brought in William Goldman, who had written The Princess Bride. And I told you, Jeff, I'm like, the one singular movie in this world that combines action and comedy and fantasy perfectly is The mm -hmm. Princess Bride. Absolutely. Absolutely. That movie, like I told you when we were talking about that, I don't care what genre film you enjoy. You get it with The Princess Bride. That's right. They paid him a million bucks to come and work the script. Four weeks. Four weeks. It's $250,000 a week, boys. Pretty good gig right there. <laughs> That's a great gig. But I mean, if you're the guy that wrote Bush Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and All the President's Men and Marathon Man and The Princess Bride, and somebody's like, hey, here's this total turd. What can you do with it? I can't do anything with it. We'll pay you $1 million. <laughs> Let me see what I can do for the next four weeks. Step back, boys. I'm going to take a shot at this. And the truth is, is that he couldn't save it. And I can't believe that because this, to me, this storyline, even with the way they jacked up the whole concept by making it a younger kid and taking out the extreme violence, even with that, they could have done a better job with it and had a great movie. Yes, they could have. Well, it's back to marketing because, you know, like you said, Jason, you went in ready and hungry for that cheeseburger and then you had two scoops of rum raisin slopped on. on you, you were like, what What happened here? <laughs> <That's> just... <laughs> I, I watched City Slickers earlier. I don't know. I don't I don't like rum raisin, but it was in City Slickers. I, I, I blame City Slickers. Imagine if you will. And let me take over for marketing here. Okay. How about the movie trailer voiceover guy tells you this summer, Arnold Schwarzenegger does not want you to come see the movies. He wants you to be in the movies. And then boom, and you get some great fast cuts. You get some action cuts. You kind of pepper in a couple of the fantastical and cartoony elements of this movie. So now you're like, you're curious. You're going, wait, wait it's Arnold Schwarzenegger, but but it's a, it's a comedy. And it's, right. did I see an animated cat? Is that what that was? Now you've got, you got a couple balls in the air here where you're thinking, okay, I like Arnold Schwarzenegger. I liked Twins when he was funny. I liked Who Framed Roger Rabbit when there was animated people and real people. Sure. It starts to create a, a different vibe for this movie. And I think people going in have a different expectation. And then that way, 1993's Jason Colvin is not walking out of the theater because he was he got a bait and switch. There is another theory on why this movie bombed. I don't know if you guys saw that or read that. It comes from Arnold Schwarzenegger himself. Because Arnold, oh, yeah. lo Arnold loves this movie. He has said it is his most underrated role. Back in May, he was talking to Cinema Blend. His quote was, last action hero. It was slaughtered before anybody saw it. It was literally a political attack because I was campaigning for former President George H.W. Bush, but Bill Clinton won. Last Action Hero was great. It wasn't fantastic, but it was underrated. Now, more and more people are seeing it and saying, I love this movie. I'm getting the residual checks, so I know it's true. It made money. That's always an important thing for me because it's show business, right? He's endorsing the wrong horse, and Hollywood was like, no. We're yeah. going to shut this movie down. So. Yeah. So here's another one of the marketing missteps in the process. They know that Jurassic Park is coming. Hmm. 
They know when it's being released. They know that they have thrown this thing together in nine months and that all you had to do was postpone things two weeks, three weeks, just a little bit of time. And you are not consumed by the Jurassic Park tsunami. But did they do that? No. Their thought was, you know what? Spielberg's washed up. His last movie was Hook, and that sucked. By the way, Carrie Fisher also helped out with Hook. But And it did suck. But <laughs> you have made a critical, you have chosen poorly on your release date. Oh, my gosh. One week after Jurassic Park? Mistake. Mistake. This is June 13th when this is, this is coming out. So to Dee's point, make it an August movie. You know, in the this is the last action hero. This is the last hurrah for these kinds of movies. Let it be the end of summer. Ah, the marketing guys here, every, everyone's just failing. There's so many things that they could have done to make this a better experience for the viewer. You mm -hmm. know, we, we forget Arnold had just been in Terminator 2. You talk mm -hmm. about the best action movie of the 90s. It's in the conversation. McTiernan yep. had given us Die Hard, Predator, Hunt for October. Die Hard may be the best action movie of the 1980s. So yes. having a chance to recalibrate our expectations would have been important. You either have to go all in, i.e. naked gun or loaded weapon. It's got to be all in spoof or all in action. It can't be both. Here's the thing. You can have satire and you can have farce in satire, but you don't have to have farce in satire. And that is the critical mistake that they made. You can have this movie be a satire of all of the action movies if you are choosing to go that way, right? If you're sticking with the idea of the script that this is supposed to be a mock of all of the action movies of the 80s. But that doesn't mean that you have to move into the Zucker Brothers farcical stuff. You don't have to have the tennis shoes sticking straight up out of the trash can. You don't have to have the guy getting killed by the ice cream cone in the back of the head. Good Lord. You don't have to have the gigantic moon with the bicycle flying through the shadow as an obvious throwback to E.T. You don't have to do that stuff. You can still make fun of it, which is, I've said this probably a handful of times over the course of our podcast. I think that's what Lethal Weapon 3 was doing. I think Lethal Weapon 3 was making fun of the other two, but it didn't go so far as to make it farcical, and it's still fun. It's still enjoyable. Also, by the way, Carrie Fisher came up with the Rene Russo part for that movie as well. Nice. But what they chose to do was try to mix those two up, mix the satire that seems ultra-realistic in with the farcical that is it belongs in a Mel Brooks movie or it belongs in a scary movie or a Zucker Brothers movie. I think we all agree the concept, the idea of this kid magically getting pulled into his favorite action movies is a great idea. And it could work. If you get pulled into a lethal weapon movie, guys are not going to be killed by ice cream cones and smoke doesn't come out of the angry sergeant's ears. But to be yeah. fair, animated cats aren't getting out of line with their female partners at the police station either. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so. Can we just touch on that for just a second? That world, okay, so, so the idea is this kid goes into the movie world, then somehow the movie world becomes like backstage at MGM. Why are all of these other characters from other movies in this movie instead of it being like the world of Jack Slater? Right. Why does that happen? D, that's the one nitpick I have about this movie is that it breaks its own rule. The whole idea of the magic ticket is that you can go into the movie of your choice. You can live in that world. There's too many cameos to name. We'd be here all night. I get why they did it, uh, you know, because sitting there in the in this theater, you're like, oh, there goes Robert Patrick from Terminator 2. There goes Sharon Stone from Basic Instinct. There right. goes, you know, it's eye candy. It also breaks the rule that the movie sets up. Then to further break that rule, even go beyond eye candy. You have the seventh seal 
and you have death from the movie, mm -hmm. the seventh seal coming out. Now, obviously yep. it's a very old movie, so they didn't have the actual actor. The guy they had was Ian McKellen. Mm -hmm. who at that point, I mean, like he had had a little bit of a career early on, but he was not a movie guy. He was a stage actor. This was kind of his reintroduction into the movie. So I thought that that just that fact alone was pretty cool. But oh, yeah. when he comes out of the screen as death, he's got this moment where he confronts the characters and he's like, Jack Slater is not on my list. And I just wanted to see who he was, but you, you are on my list, but don't worry. It's going to, you've got a long time left to go. And I'm like, wait a minute, this is death from the movie seventh seal. Right. This is not actual death. Like how does he have this? It just doesn't, it didn't, it, it, like you said, it broke its own rules. Yeah. You know, I was telling you last night, the break-in scene at the beginning of the movie, Danny's apartment is broken into. He's terrorized by this thug. And it means nothing to the story. It means absolutely nothing. Nothing happens. I guess they put it in there to show that he doesn't have a dad, but we already know that. It, and it is meaningless to him. Like he's not upset. Right. He literally is struggling to call the police in time to get over to the theater and catch the movie before it starts. It doesn't put any fear in him. He doesn't act as a coward so that we have a character arc that he becomes brave later on. He's not brave so that we can see the, the seeds of the character when he is brave later on. It's literally just this throwaway moment that could have been great. It could have been an opportunity to truly give his character some depth so that we root for him. Because to me, that is the biggest sin of the entire movie is that you have no reason to root for this kid. Oh, absolutely. On a film by podcast, we talked about this movie back in June. It was our John McTiernan episode. We had 90 days in the 90s author Andy Fry join us. And what started off as a what was going to be a conversation about the movie turned into, you know, like this is what this is what, what they did wrong. And this is what they did wrong. And, and D, we talked about that scene that that is it's a complete throwaway to have this crackhead break in and the time like like it doesn't add up you know if he's got to meet nick at midnight and it's eight o'clock and you're telling me that the you know the guy breaks in he's handcuffed he, and he goes down to the police pre precinct what is mercedes rule doing for a living where the police department call i'm not a father i know you guys are but she gets a she gets a phone call that her son has been in a aggravated assault someone broke into her home the minor is at the police station and she says Send him straight home when you're done. Yeah, you know? exactly. Right. And the police aren't even going to give him like an escort. They're not going to. He's a 10 year old kid. Like, we're not going to drive him home. Hey, mom says straight home. <laughs> That should all that should have been cut. Let me say this because I know that that we've talked about it, and we'll probably talk about it a little bit more. But let's talk about the kid here for just a second. Do I think that all of his acting choices were the best choices? No, I don't. But that poor kid was handed a turd to work with. If you just look at a handful of his his lines that he had to read what was on the script, you go, I feel sorry for this kid. Like he had to say, my name's Danny O'Brien or whatever the crap it was. I'm a kid. Like <laughs> That was somebody, Shane Black, a man who's been paid $2 million for a script, wrote that line. What? Yeah. I'm a kid. Look, you said it. You know, we we talked about the uh, the resume for Shane Black, Zach Penn, and Adam Leff in a game of whoever smelt it, dealt it. Uh, you know, <laughs> we know Zach. We know Zach Penn and Shane Black are awesome. Adam Leff, PCU, and Biodome. I, I'm not saying who's responsible for writing Danny Madigan's dialogue or developing that character. But I got to wonder, like, out of the three writers responsible for his terrible dialogue, who's in charge here? Because well, out, outside of the bad dialogue, it's just Austin O'Brien's terrible acting, which is on a Jake Lloyd level, you know, Phantom Menace Jake Lloyd level. You know, it's ooh. just bad. 
bad, bad. It's he's a bad actor. I'm sorry. Is the movie any better with Macaulay Culkin? Yes, significantly better. Jason, I don't know if we want to get into this now. I told you I had three options for you. I want to hear it. I've been waiting all day for this. Okay. Okay. No, wait. Before you do that, the possibilities for Last Action Hero, what what should have been was Arnold Schwarzenegger, Macaulay Culkin, Alan Rickman. That is what initially was set up. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And even Timothy Dalton was talked about. Now, Charles Mm -hmm. Dance did a great job. I'm not doubting him at all. Awesome. Right. Yeah. But Schwarzenegger, Macaulay Culkin, and Alan Rickman? Move over, Jurassic Park. Take my money. So you guys are the producers. I'll play the casting director. I've got what I'm going to say is a safe choice, an inspired choice, and then the obvious choice. Keep in mind, these three actors, they're age appropriate within a couple of years. Each one of them has been in the business long enough to to be great. Okay? Okay. Here's here's the safe choice in 1992. I'm going to give you Jonathan Brandis. So the year before Last Action Hero, he does Ladybugs and Sidekicks, which shows he can have a a blockbuster star, whether it's an action star or a comedic star, and he can play the sidekick role to both of them, right? Brandis Brandis, died, yeah. Yeah, he oh, passed. He he's the kid that was in like the the dolphin thing with Roy Scheider. Yeah, that, uh, uh, yeah, you're talking. You're talking about Sequest. Okay, yeah, I know who you're talking year, about now. Yeah, he joined Sequest the year that Last Action Hero comes out. So mm-hmm. even with Roy Scheider, proven, you know, he can play the kid sidekick. Yeah. So that's that's my safe choice. Okay, you, you would have like had it. A, you would have had fine with that. Yep. Here's an inspired choice, and I think uh, you know this is a little bit of a maybe blow your mind on who it is. Do you guys, if I say the name Brandon Quinton Adams? I got nothing. Getting getting question marks? Okay. So in 1988, he had a small role where he played a character named Zeke in Michael Jackson's Smooth Criminal and Moonwalker. If you remember the video, street kids are watching outside, and the one kid says, look at him go. I taught him everything he knows. And the other kid says, no, you didn't. And so Brandon Adams is the one that jumps down and does a perfect Michael Jackson dance number right there. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you probably don't remember him from that, but I know that uh, in '91 you might remember him as uh, Jesse in the Mighty Ducks. And if you don't remember him there, Jason, you definitely know him because in 1993, same year as Last Action Hero, he's in the Sandlot. He plays uh, the pitcher Kenny. Yes. Who, who who dares Ham to you know? Here's my heater. I dare you to hit it. Yes. This kid. Yes. This kid was ready to blow up. Yeah. I mean, he he could have been a a box office star. Okay. So that's the inspired choice, right? You're blowing my mind. And I didn't it, know that the pitcher from the Sandlot was the same kid in the Smooth Criminal video. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And then finally, I'm you know I'm going to lob this one in. It's it's my obvious choice. Again, think of the year. Think of the resume that he's got in the '80s, late '80s. Princess Bride, Little Monsters, The Wizard, Fred Savage. Okay. And in 1993, The Wonder Years is ending when Last Action Hero is is coming out. So it would have been a great transition for his his film career. Again, and we we've seen that he can handle the big budget movie and have fun with it. Good point. And, he, and he's popular. Kevin Arnold, Kevin Arnold and Arnold. Arnold and Arnold. <laughs> again, <laughs> again so, someone get me a marketing job because I, I, I don't know what to tell you. But I, okay, so Jonathan Brandis, Brandon Quentin Adams, Fred Savage. Who do you guys like? Man, I, I got to go with Fred Savage, man. That's a no brainer. Agree. Yeah, yeah, right. I don't know who's asleep at the wheel, but that, and again, any three of these guys would have been light years ahead of Austin O'Brien. 
I, I just don't know what I think there. that Fred Savage could have actually sold the line, Amadeus, it won eight Oscars. Oh, gosh, yeah. I think Fred Savage could have sold that line. It's a terrible line. Once again, terrible, terrible writing for yeah. this poor child actor. But I think yeah. Fred Savage might have been able to sell that line. And I would I would think that Fred Savage, even at this young age, he's got enough uh, enough time in the business and enough clout to say to look at some of these, these lines and say, wait, you want me to say, hey, I'm Danny Madigan. I'm just a kid. I guarantee you, Fred Savage makes the Danny character less wimpy, less whiny, less weak. Less cross-eyed. <laughs> yeah, that too. That <laughs> definitely. <laughs> Let's talk about what we think really worked in this movie. Okay, so I think the action really worked in this movie. The action is awesome. McTiernan cannot be bad if he tries. Die Hard just bleeds out of his pores, okay? The practical effects, the stunts, the car crashes, Schwarzenegger hanging off of an elevator, glass breaking, even the, the shootouts are awesome. They're all fantastic. I think those are all really good. I think Mr. Benedict, that character, is cool and, you know, solid. You know, the contacts that he wears, the have a nice day contacts, I'm not sure about that. As a character, I thought his was really good. Bridget Wilson, as his daughter, was... Inspired. Goodness gracious. Majors. They do mm -hmm. nothing with her, basically, except annoy you because she's screaming at the top of her lungs the entire time. Well, I, uh, quickly, I'll say she she definitely graduated from the Kim Basinger School of Screaming. Uh, <laughs> but but where the, the second you start to get annoyed, you realize that she's using it as a offensive weapon, right? Guy smacks her and she's like, big mistake. Has her dad's catchphrase. And she's beating the crap out of this guy while she's screaming at the top of her lungs so that the guys in the other room just assume that, you know, she's she's getting tore up. I could go both ways on the on the screaming. Like, yes, it's annoying, but it's also like an effective tool that her character does. The one scene that I thought was awesome because it fits so well into 80s action movies. You have one one moment. They're jumping the car like a thousand feet over this thing. And the kids cross eyed and making goofy sounds. And then you crash into a lingerie photo shoot. This is straight out of a, you know, a lethal weapon type of movie. And that was fun and funny. And I liked it. Yeah. And then there's one other thing. There's one joke that hit for me that I thought was really funny. Arnold Schwarzenegger's carrying around a guy going, he needs a doctor. This guy needs a doctor. He's not dead. And then one guy in a very Bugs Bunny-like moment says, I'm a doctor. Right? <laughs> straight yep. out of the Bugs Bunny cartoons. That was funny. And then the soundtrack is amazing. One more thing, Jeff. The iconic shot of Schwarzenegger in the movie theater pulls out his gun to shoot the axe murderer, and you have that cool crane shot. These guys just are so good at what they do. They're just not good at what they don't do. So that that shot, that should have been the poster. And if you look at the poster, the poster is oh. almost perfect, except for you've got the, the kid doing that stupid face. <laughs> In the poster, you know, <laughs> as 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 Jack Slater's carrying him, you know, tucked away like a football. So at least he's not cross-eyed. Well, at least, you know. I think that the the thing they absolutely nailed, that they absolutely nailed on this movie was the movie within the movie within the movie, Arnold Schwarzenegger as Hamlet. To be or not to be. Not to be. <laughs> and oh, we yes. get the Joel Silver style, like 
dark and and it's brilliant of course because again they're making fun of lethal weapon like you, there's just lethal weapon ishness everywhere in the movie right right jack slater is martin riggs right just without the partner you even have the that when the when the house explodes just like at a lethal weapon you have the old black cop oh, i was just two days away from retirement like it's and and you've got the countdown, which I thought was pretty funny, honestly. The, the as he's just pulling through the cards, I think everybody hates that scene. I thought it was, <laughs> I was just chuckling to myself. It was happening. I was like, "This is great satire right here. This is funny." Uh, um, but to have that that Joel Silver style Hamlet, where Hamlet just starts shooting everybody with an Uzi, I thought freaking brilliant. That that. Is great. That was funny. The soundtrack is a no-brainer. I mean, it was a huge, it was a hugely successful. It's the one success they had. Like the action figures didn't sell. Everybody hated the movie, but the album, everybody bought it because it was so freaking good. I think that the story idea is fantastic. It is. I think that the idea of going in, and I thought this was kind of funny because literally by pure accident, I'm watching old silent movies this past week. I'm watching it and I'm like, oh, it's a guy going into a movie and becoming the main character in the movie. And it's from like 1924. Like it's a hundred year old movie Wow. and it's Buster Keaton. I'm like, okay, so it's an inspired choice. You know, it, it's Alice in Wonderland through the looking glass, all that stuff. And the idea that there's something to be learned about, hey, when we do all these violent and crazy things, how does that translate into real life? I think, that, again, inspired choice when the uh, when the villain gets into the real world and you realize, wow, bad things happen and nothing happens to the people that do them. That's a poignant moment. I think they did a ton of great stuff with that. And I agree with you, Jason. I think that the action was done like an action movie. It was real. It was if George Lucas directed space baseballs and all of a sudden you can't tell is this a movie or is this a farce of a movie or a satire of a movie so i thought i thought all of that was great but i'll say this even the dumb farcical things that they did they still made me chuckle but here's the key difference that i had from what you had jason i didn't go in expecting only a cheeseburger that's true I went in knowing that this movie is supposed to be a spoof of action movies and so i knew what to expect I, I was ready for it and I was, and I, so I could enjoy it. I, I wasn't expecting pure action. I wasn't expecting a Zucker Brothers movie. I was expecting John McTiernan does a spoof of his own style. And that's totally what I got. So my expectations were met. Uh, that was not the case for the entire audience of the world back in 1993. I will concur with the both of you when it comes to the action of this movie and the soundtrack that lights out. They just, they hit it out of the park on this one. What also works for me, Austin O'Brien aside, I'm, I'm talking out both sides of my mouth here because I'm talking about what, what they did get right. But the casting, you've got the biggest action star of the 1980s. You've got Oscar winners like F. Murray Abraham and Anthony Quinn. You've got the feature film debut of Bridget Wilson. And, you know, again, all the, all the fun cameos. So I think the casting was, was fantastic. Another thing that I think that they really got right, and this is something that uh, I know is important to you guys as well, is the MacGuffin. This magic ticket with a mysterious origin, Harry Houdini right. passed it down and he got it from someone who got it from someone. The magic ticket is a fantastic MacGuffin for both the villains and the heroes. So I, I love the I love the magic ticket. And then lastly, the comedy, when it hits right, 
And I'm, you know, you mentioned Schwarzenegger, you know, and the doctor, and then him, him knocking out the doctor, and then he's like, the doctor has fainted. Can someone help the doctor? <laughs> you know, it's like, but but I love, you know, like at Dee's point when when Charles Dance, when his character makes it into the real world, and he starts to pick up on the fact that bad things happen and you get away with it. I love that moment where he he shouts out to the alley, "I've just shot a man, and I want to confess." And the response he gets is, "Hey, shut up down there!" You know, so <laughs> like that kind of comedy, I I, I dig in this movie and even the banter between Arnold and Charles dance when he knocks on the door, you know, I like to speak to the drug dealer of the house. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. It's a beautiful day. We're out killing drug dealers. Do you have any? <laughs> I just, that part is fantastic. I, I, I love, I love some of the comedy. Yeah. Get rid of the farcical stuff, you know, ice cream cones to the back of the head and Danny Madigan cross-eyed and, you know, doing his goofy noises. Get rid of all that. But the there there is there's still plenty that works as far as the comedy. Okay. A quick Colvin cut of this movie that makes it 100,000% better. All right. Okay. And, and it's so easy. I told D this hour is two hours and 10 minutes. You trim it back to an hour and 50. You cut all the farcical crap out. So literally you go through, you scrub the ice cream cone to the back of the head. You scrub some of the stupid fart jokes, mm -hmm. the silent but deadly. I mean, that was somewhat humorous, but calling the guy Leo the fart and he was a flatulent man. All that stuff is for Leslie Nielsen. Take that out of there. Do something with Whiskers the cat. Euthanasia. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> And you trim the stupid cross-eyed kid shot. Everything else yeah. is fantastical and acceptable. Could we cut a little bit more of Austin O'Brien's dialogue? <laughs> yeah. I, and I'm just, I mean, I'm not being like a hater. I'm just saying like some of, just some of that bad dialogue. Sure. Cut it. Like when he, when he first meets Bridget Wilson's character and then he has that moment by himself where he's like, hi, I'm Danny Madigan and I haven't had a long life, but I just want you to know it's all downhill for me. It's like, just, can we just cut most of his stuff? <laughs> Yes. Cut, cut a lot of him and give me more Mercedes rule. That'd be that'd be my trade off. I'd re I'd request. Hey, she's never looked better in my opinion. She she looks wonderful in this movie. Dirty girl looking fantastic in this movie, <laughs> and and I believe her. You know, like and I feel bad for her. You know, she's she has that that terrible that that sad line. Like I hey, you think I asked to be a widow before I, before I'm forty? Jason, you know I, I'm a big fan of Mercedes rule. You know because of Frasier, but I wish we could have had more of her in this movie. One thing I wish we could have had more of in this movie, man, it was so close to being an awesome moment in the movie theater. Jack Slater is pulled out a gun. He's trying to shoot the ex murderer. Everybody's ducking. It's mass chaos. And he's tackled by Arnold Schwarzenegger. Mm -hmm. And I thought, man, this would be a really cool way to have a fight right here. Like do something. Ooh, yeah. And you know, they have a minor disagreement and that's it. And I thought that really could have, if you could have expanded that scene into some sort of wrestling match or. That could have been your trailer for the movie. Oh my God. And that would have given you mm -hmm. the appropriate expectation. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Agreed. Yeah. I was, I was going to say what the Colvin cut, I'll give you the graves cut here. All right. Yeah. Yes. I would have cut some of the farcical things. Although, like I said, I did enjoy them because I had that expectation. Right. So the key thing that I would say is had they marketed it properly at the beginning, they would have offended a whole lot less folks. Mm-hmm. But there's this beautiful opportunity to create a father-son story here. He is a father who's lost a son. Danny is a son who's lost a father. They are both looking for the wrong solution to their problem. And ultimately, that could have been the right solution. And so if you build that relationship and make that more of a focus of the movie, 
then suddenly we've got characters that we can care more about. And that gets us through the kind of bumpy ride of the, the ice cream cones and, and the, the funeral full of people who all have their own personal Uzis. Right. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and so if you've got those things that you care about and you eliminate some of the silly stuff that they're just doing because they think that's what they're supposed to do because of Mel Brooks here, I think is, is an important thing that would have been a very simple fix. Change the way the real world looks compared to the movie world. I think one of the key problems is that they look exactly the same. If your point is to show the difference between movies and reality, you need to be able to see that on the screen, right? Desaturate what you're doing in the real world. Give it a more authentic vibe, which you absolutely could have done at this point. And then that drives that point home that you're trying to make at the in the movie itself about what is good about movies and what's bad and what's good about real life and what's bad. So I think those simple changes and you have a movie classic instead of a classic blunder. I absolutely agree. And to your point on the desaturation, and I'm, I'm not, I don't want to pick a scab here from the last time I showed up uh, when we talked Alien 3, but <laughs> imagine imagine if the movie world had the that hazy blues of, of Cameron's Aliens, and then in the real world, we get the sepia tones, the, the yellowish tint that, that Fincher had in Alien 3. You're absolutely right. Distinguishing between the two worlds would have been much better for this film. One more change that I would make. The axe murderer has to be less intelligent and less well-spoken. <laughs> I mean, he's this scarred up walking in a yellow rain slicker with a makeshift axe in his hand. He can't talk like a very educated man and talk to, to Jack <laughs> about the, the problems that they've had and the way that they can work these things out. Brilliant, Jack. Brilliant. Brilliant. Brilliant, Jack. Yeah. No, no, no. He's a, he's a psychotic killer. Make him talk like a psychotic killer. Make him sound like Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs. And then, yes, we, we now have a scary villain instead of something that just seems ludicrous. To your point, the Ripper's played by Tom Noonan, who is famous for playing the Tooth Fairy in Michael Mann's Manhunter from 1986. Yep. Yeah. So again, with the, there's a Silence of the Lambs connection. That guy's creepy and scary enough. You know, you didn't have to make him look like Cro-Magnon Man. If you're gonna make him look like that, make him more barbaric, more gruff. <laughs> not what we got well is it time for final judgment yeah so we have two kind of final judgments here number one i mean we kind of already have talked about how we felt about alien 3 but we're comparing alien 3 and last action hero to some degree although we are really asking the question what the heck happened but we talked about how we felt about alien 3 let's talk now you've rewatched it Jeff, you loved it when you first saw it, and you've rewatched it as well. I watched it for the first time. Jason, what'd you think on the rewatch? So on the rewatch, I've already told you guys, uh, this is not a walk-outable movie. So I was with uh, my college buddy, Craig Parrish. I want to give him a shout-out. We both agreed. We both walked out. We were like, this sucks. Get us out of here. But uh, upon rewatch, it's a fun ride. There's a lot of fun to be had in this movie. There's some stupid decisions that were made, 
But overall, I had recalibrated my expectations for the movie. I knew what I was getting into. And overall, it was a lot of fun. I, I think it's a it was a big swing and a and a big miss, but at least they took a big cut and really went for it. They just didn't they just didn't catch it right. So overall, I enjoyed it upon rewatch. All right. Hey Jeff, you loved it when you first saw it and have now since uh, expanded your palate, if you will, uh, yes. on what quality <laughs> movies are versus how you felt when you were 10. So <laughs> what did you think on the rewatch? I'll say this um, years and years watching it, you know, every, every, every now and then does it have its faults? It absolutely does. I do think it was ahead of its time. You know, we talked about that meta commentary that the, that the film offers up and I would love to do, to see more from it. Uh, I know they just released a, a 4k Blu-ray that has uh, an alternate ending and some other, some other goodies. I, I still love, I still like the film. I think it's fun, but I'm not ready to buying the Blu-ray I've got for seven ninety nine. Is one thing before I'm going to spend forty bucks on a 4K steelbook that has the, the I'm not I'm not there yet so I'm kind of trying to compromise meet meet Jason halfway um, <laughs> I loved it and I still I still care a great deal about it it's got some great moments but I get it it's not for everybody but it was for me I like it okay and just real real quick before I throw this out there they didn't know what to expect when this thing finally came out. Right. They and they test audience. They showed it to him. <laughs> We've talked about Mark Cannon before because Mark Cannon, when we talked about vacation, when didn't he was the guy when everybody else said no, vacation idea is a stupid idea. He was the one guy at Warner Brothers, right, who said, No, I think we can make this something great. And he was right. And then I said, and then he went on to do Purple Rain and Batman. And I mean, if you look at his stage production career, it is flawless. Well, he's the president of Columbia at this point. They do their test showing the cards they got back were so bad that he confiscated all of them and destroyed them. But unfortunately, he didn't keep it a secret. And Jeffrey Wells, who was just a freelance guy then, he wrote a story about it and it created quite a havoc. I saw the interview that Brian Gumbel did with... Arnold Schwarzenegger before this movie came out and he's talking to him. This is before the movie comes out and he's talking to him about all the bad press that this movie is getting. So I think that it's terrible at that point in history that not only did they give people false expectations, but then they made that even worse by putting out these stories that put everybody questioning, oh my gosh, is this just going to be this horrible, horrible thing? I didn't have to experience any of that. I got to watch it a week ago when I knew that you hated it and I knew that you liked it and I knew that it's supposed to be a farce and that it wasn't well received. I sat there watching that movie with a smile on my face the whole time. I loved it. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to awesome. rewatch it. I, there are a lot of things that I was just like, oh, okay, I can see why everybody hated this part. Okay. Yeah, I can see where this is terrible. But I knew that going in. And so knowing that going in, I got to really, truly enjoy this movie. And I did. I, I obviously have a lot of criticism of the movie because I just threw that out there for the last hour. But truthfully, on my first watching of it, I genuinely enjoyed the movie. I thought that it was a good concept, not even poorly executed, just with some poor decisions. But for a lot of other factors that were outside the movie itself, this could have been a truly great movie. It could have been a great, like one of the best of the 90s. Yep. Okay, well, let's go. Let's go comparison. Last action hero to Alien 3. Jeff, you love both. So you're on the hot Ooh. seat, man. Okay, well, you know what? I'm not going to put a, a lot of thought into it. I'm going to say Last Action Hero would be my my choice between the two. All right. 
So for me, when I think back to where I was, I was very, like I read Entertainment Weekly. I watched movies like crazy. I was into what was coming up on the blockbuster movie screen for the summer. I went into Alien 3 expecting aliens. What I got was a kick in the nuts in the first three minutes. Last Action Hero, I had just seen Jurassic Park and I was expecting Terminator 2. And so with that heightened expectations, what I got was like cold water in the face, okay? So I hated both of these movies when I saw them the first time in the theater. But after a rewatch, after some time has passed, after I've recalibrated my expectations, Alien 3 still sucks balls. But Last Action Hero is enjoyable for what it is. Okay, yeah. So I, I, I land on the same page as both of you, honestly, rewatching, like I saw alien three in the theater and I was young enough at the time that I didn't, couldn't tell you exactly what was bad. I just was like, this was boring. This is a boring movie. Didn't live up to the first two. Now that I've seen last action hero and I've rewatched alien three, 100% last action hero is the better movie. Alien three is worth the watch if you're analyzing the history of David Fincher and what he had to do and what he had to work with and what came out despite all of the obstacles that he had. But beyond that, other than an educational experience, it's not worth watching. It's not something I would pick out and watch with the kids. Last Action Hero, I would totally take this out. I'd say, okay, guys, this is a movie that is full of action and it's also full of stuff where they're making fun of movies that are action movies. And we would get to enjoy it for that. They would have a great time. I think all of us would have a great time. Last Action Hero definitely wins the day. All right, guys. Well, we want to hear from you. Hit us up on Facebook. Hit us up on Twitter. Send us an email. Tell us what you think about Last Action Hero. Tell us what you think about Alien 3. Jeff, thank you. Where can we find your, your stuff, man? We are streaming on every single platform, but I'll make it easy for you. Just head over to www.afilmbypodcast.com. You'll find links to all the streaming uh, platforms, plus some other fun stuff. You know, we have access to all the episodes, but we're also throwing some more fun stuff, some trivia stuff in there. We always love talking to people on social media, so you can definitely find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at a film by podcast as well. One thing I want to throw out there real quick. We have a Patreon page. Jeff, you have a Patreon page. Yes, a film by does have its Patreon page as well. Awesome. We now have a money back guarantee. If you come over to our Patreon page and you listen for one month and you don't like it, we'll send your money back. No questions asked. What do you have to lose? We got tons of great stuff. Over on our Patreon page, we just did a deep dive on Kokomo. Jeff, you were with me when we did There's Something Going On. We deep dive on one-hit wonders and sort of musical anomalies. It's a lot of fun. Check us out on Patreon. And I'll, I'll point out, I'm not just a guest host. I'm also a patron. I absolutely love these episodes, and I look forward to them every month. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. I'm a patron of yours. I love your stuff, too, man. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, we will be back next week. D, we're taking a deep dive with our friend Amanda Janik. Amanda Janik, who has been a listener of ours, made a like a billboard that said, Jason and D, you've got to go into the cure and depeche mode. And so we're gonna do that with her next week. Reach out such space. seeing that uh wasn't that on your facebook page yeah uh, the shirley kibbe series facebook yeah yes. and i recognize the name because you have you've warned me jason like hey i've made some some comments that you felt she's not gonna like that when you when, when she reads that so <laughs> she was offended by your position on greece too yes that's it. i i that that's what it was uh, the, <laughs> yeah we'll come back next week and 
hear the latest edition of the Surely Can't Be Serious podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. So there's a whole bunch of, you know, the cameos and the bloated budget. They put Last Action Hero on a rocket. Oh, yeah. We forgot to mention that. That's so ridiculous. And it, the rocket didn't even take off until like the movie had been out for a month. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> After boy. everybody already hated it. It failed to launch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>